In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee when he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Jesus said to them, come with me, I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Matthew four eighteen to 20. Thus began Jesus' three years of public ministry. That day, it, he didn't stop there. He carried on walking down the beach and called two more brothers, sons of Zebedee, who were in a boat with their father mending their nets. They also left the boat and their father at Jesus' calling to follow him. A priest friend of mine would always commiserate with Zebedee. There he was, left without his sons, whom he'd brought into the family fishing business. Without a backward glance, they'd gone off with some man whom they hardly heard of. This Jesus fellow needed to be watched if he had the charisma to command instant followers. Can you think of anyone you'd drop what you were doing for to follow? Someone you'd only heard about, never met? These uneducated fishermen were his first disciples. Jesus knew exactly whom he wanted to take his message to the four corners of the earth, and we're living proof that he was absolutely right. Andrew supported the Lord and continued to teach the good news until he was finally crucified upside down and and silenced, except he wasn't. Today, he's the patron saint of Scotland by default. Legend has it his relics were taken to that bonny highland in the 8th century, and then he was adopted as their saint. His feast day was this past Wednesday, and he was remembered for his faithful witness. And we're reminded of two things. When we're called from above, we should respond. And who we are and how we live our lives outlives us. We don't have to be famous or wealthy or even extraordinary. By choosing fishermen as his first apostles, Jesus is showing us that in our ordinariness, we're great. Good morning and good afternoon. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McNenny. My guest today is Laura Nuihead, who went from being an editor of the New York Times to homeschooling her three children in Abu Dhabi. We'll be talking about her life abroad and how she deals with those doubting moments in every homeschool parent's lives. I'll also be telling you about our Advent Carol service. First time stew experiences are sit and sip, foot propelled push chairs, warm milk at bedtime and strikes. So prepare yourself to enjoy an hour of news from over seas with your cuppa and a warm chocolate brioche delicious both at the beginning or at the end of the day and happy new month i know it's only the second of december but already the anticipation of the holidays is reaching fever pitch as my youngest looks forward to the final week of her first term at her college in leon c She's a countdown and can't wait to come home where she can browse the cupboards and freezers for delectables. I think she's missed us. 
She's working at her coffee shop for four days after she breaks up. Then she'll be going back for a few days just before Christmas. But that's only because she owes me money, not because she loves her job. And she wants to pay her debt off as quickly as possible. The shops here in town are teeming with people and gifts. And I'm looking forward to the sales when everything will be slashed to make room for the spring collections. In the market square, there are mini fairs with merry-go-rounds and rides, all designed to prize a few extra pounds from parents who've got toddlers who just have to sit alongside the elves or a pretty painted pony and go round and round or be photographed with Santa. Close to all of this activity, portable log cabins have been put together next to a massive live Christmas tree that was in the throes of being decorated while we were there. And from them is served hot soup, cocoa and mulled wine to exhausted shoppers. My blue-eyed cowboy and I were walking around looking at what the food stalls had on offer and we saw another building not doing any business. So we walked around the front to see if we could figure out what it may be and lo and behold, there was a life-size creche behind a plate glass window. We didn't expect that. I told you we couldn't find a creche anywhere to put up in our living room. But I have one from my childhood in the garage and we're going to look at it next week to see if it's still all right to put in our lounge. I can't really remember what it looks like. Well, I'm going to introduce my guest now. Laura Nuihead um, was the editor of the New York Times front page website Night Edition, where she managed a team of editors and producers. She did the same for the Miami Herald, working with the editors who created the front page pages of both the English and Spanish versions. Laura was a professor at the Columbia University School of Journalism, where she helped develop a curriculum for online news production. She received her Master of Science in Journalism with concentrations in print and new media from the same school. When not at her computer, Laura loves water skiing and scuba diving. She enjoys experimenting with traditional cooking of various cultures and is equally happy <clears throat> being absorbed in a good novel or unraveling a screen full of programming code. Welcome to my show, Laura. Thank you. How are you? Oh, I'm doing very well, thank you. And um, you say it's the almost the end. Well, you're going into the evening of your day in Abu Dhabi. What time is it? It is now six o'clock p.m. Six o five. Yeah. And so um, does it? And um, what does it do about light? I mean, is it dark now? It is dark now. Now that we're into winter, it's starting to get dark much earlier. Yes, and, and what is much earlier? Um, about 5.30, the sun is going down now. Oh, okay, okay. Because in England, eventually it starts to get dark at 3.30. We're already seeing oh, it going right. into twilight at 3.30. I know. That's such a difference for me. So, um, All right, so you're in Abu Dhabi, and you said that they're having big celebrations today because it's their... It's the 40th about, anniversary. 40th anniversary, yes. Tell mm -hmm. us. Same, it's, uh, the country is the same age as I am. Um, it was created in 1971 mm -hmm. when the seven emirates came together to form a country. Mm -hmm. And um, so they've been uh, they've been going strong for 40 years now. And um, it's a young country, but with very, very old traditions. Yeah. Uh, so so it's, they're excited to uh, today. And there's partying all across the Corniche and um, concerts and uh, fireworks and just lots of fun. So have you been participating today? Not a whole lot. We try to avoid crowds. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. And all the it's schools probably are out. Oh, and it's, today is Friday, so today it's a holy day, isn't it? it? Is. It's their Sabbath. Yeah, that's right. It is. Our weekend yeah. is Friday and Saturday, yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Laura, um, tell us a little about yourself. You're obviously not from Abu Dhabi. 
No, no. I was actually born and raised in Mexico mm-hmm. um, and then went to the United States uh, for college. Well, I lived I lived in Texas, actually, for for one year when I was a junior in high school, but then went to went to New York for college um, where I met my husband, who's from Lebanon. OK. And your husband was also at the same college as you? And no, we just met in New York City. As you're walking along the street, you just meet somebody. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's good because I saw that and I thought, oh, I wonder if they actually met at college. But I'm not going to presume that they met at college. So, um, no, uh, okay. no, he went to a different different college. He was in college at the time, but it was a different yeah. college. Yeah. And so, what kind of? So, you say you were ra- born and raised in Mexico. So, um, are your parents of um, a mixed culture or? They are. My mom is from my mom is from Texas, Mm -hmm. um, but my father was born and raised in Mexico City. So he's Mexican. So that was home for him. That was home for him and for me. And and school. What about school? Um, Just regular traditional schooling. I reg, uh, well, I went to an American school. It was private school um, in in Mexico City, uh, but it was the American school. So I was, you know, I grew up very much in the expat community there. A lot of mm-hmm. Americans and Europeans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I went to the American. I lived in Beirut. Uh, I spent five years there with my parents, and I went to the American school. And we had the little yellow school buses came and picked us up and took us all through these little <laughs> villages in the mountains to our school. And I, that was my first and only experience with American uh, school buses. But my children, because they, they were homeschooled, they didn't get to ride on a school bus. And so I had, I said, I used to ride an American school bus and they don't really think that was very fair. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny how Americans do tend to take their whole culture with them into the countries. They do. They go. Yeah, they do. They do. Expat communities tend to be very strong. And well, and then here there's a lot of influence, um, a lot of stores and restaurants that you would find in the U.S. Um, mm-hmm. here. And so um, sometimes it's it's easy to forget that you're in a foreign country. Right. Except for the language. <laughs> well, and actually you... lang- English is spoken uh, quite, quite widely here. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Arabic is not the primary language of uh, business or yeah. so um so yeah, so that and that's actually one of my regrets is that my children are not forced to learn Arabic by living here. Right, right. So, um, does your husband speak Arabic to them? He, he well, not to them because because they we've mostly lived in uh, in the United States until last year, oh, um, right. and okay. and since I don't speak Arabic, it was a difficult difficult thing yeah. for him. So yeah. um, so no, unfortunately, my kids don't speak Arabic. All right. So tell me, uh, we have a couple of minutes till the break. So I'm going to um, ask you to tell me just a little bit about why you decided to homeschool. Now, you've only been then in Abu Dhabi for a year. So you were in America for, for that time. That's right. All of your children were born in America, correct? Yes, that's right. And did you start homeschooling them in America? I did. I did. Okay. Um, we had moved to Miami and, uh, I was pregnant with my third. And so I didn't try to look for work when we first moved. And then I just, mm-hmm. uh, my, my son had a difficult, um, introduction to school when he went to kindergarten. And so we just pulled him out and, um, and homeschooled. Uh, to be honest, I'd been researching homeschooling for, for a few years already and had sort of decided that that's what I wanted to do. But it, I think it took that kindergarten experience to convince my husband and his family as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so that was your oldest son. So, my oldest. Yeah. yeah. So, apart from him, your other your other children haven't 
ventured into the hallways of those hallowed buildings. <laughs> no, they haven't. No, not at all, not at all. I think they're better off for it. <laughs> yes, yes, I definitely agree with you. And so moving to um, Dubai, I want to talk about that in in. No, it's not Dubai. It's Abu Dhabi. Now, I was looking at it on the map, actually. Is Dubai close to there? It is. It's about an hour drive. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I was trying to. I was trying to get. A t- uh, I was trying to get a feel for exactly where Abu Dhabi was, and it's in the Persian Gulf, right? Yes, it's on, it's on yes. the Persian Gulf because my parents also lived in Iran, so we were on the the other side of the Persian right. Gulf from. We're Abu right Dhabi, across the right? Gulf, right? Yes, yeah, yeah, right across yeah, the Gulf yeah. from Iran. Yeah, yeah, and. Um, all right. Well, um, I'm talking to Laura Nuaihead in Abu Dhabi, and we're going to go on a break. And um, we're going to, when we come back, we're going to talk about her experience um, homeschooling, first off in America, and then as she moved with her family to Abu Dhabi. I'll be back in just a moment. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Get ready for the Not-So-Soccer Mom Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central on Toginat with Jill Hickey. You name it, from politics to pop culture to Jill's search for the perfect bronzer and chicken salad. The Not-So-Soccer Mom will weigh in on it all. The sentence, I have no opinion about that, is one that Jill has never uttered. Everybody In the early 90s, Jill finally decided to put her thoughts, opinions, mom advice, love of pop culture, hummus, and Starbucks, working out, cosmetic shopping, and politics into an actual website, and thus NotSoSoccerMom.com was born. Shortly after her fourth child, a boy, Jerome, now she's really got tons of topics to share with you. This is Laugh Out Loud Funny, and we're not kidding. What's a loud Nebraska girl who lived in Little Rock for many years and now is up in the Northeast doing, chronicling her opinions on everything? The wheels aren't off yet, but it's close. It's the Not-So-Soccer Mom with Jill Hickey. Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central on toginet.com. Connect with Juliana and connect with what lies beneath. Friday afternoons at 4 or 3 Central on toginet.com. Juliana is a marriage, family, and child therapist who wants people to connect. Connect with what lies beneath those truths and answers. And through her counseling practice, she has helped others find their personal power and fulfill their dreams. And she wants to do the same for you here on Connect with Juliana. Through intimate discussions, intriguing subject matters, and the expertise of her guests. For more on the show and Juliana, check out her webpage. Connect with Juliana in media.com. Juliana will cover it all. Nothing is off limits. She wants to know what matters to you. Make the connection. Tune in to Toginet to connect with Juliana to find out the facts that could be hidden beneath the surface. Connect with Juliana on Toginet to make a quality connection in your life. Friday afternoons at 4, 3 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. All right, Laura, how old are your children? Um, my eldest is nine and a half, 
he'll be 10 in February. Uh, my daughter is seven and my baby is four years old, a boy. Okay. Okay. And so, um, they were all, well, except maybe for the four year old, um, very cognizant of the fact that you were moving from America, uh, to another country. How did you do that? You, you say that, you know, you were able to take these challenges as a family. So talk a little bit about how you prepared your children. We talked, we've always talked a lot about the different cultures that, that, that um, their father and I come from and how our lives were different than theirs um, in, in America. And so one of the things that we talked about was um, that it's important to experience other cultures in other countries um, and learn how others live. So that was one of the big, um, one of our big goals in, in moving here. And did you have, is it, it was a job that took you there, was it? Yes, my husband's job, yes. yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So did you have much notice that you were going to go so that you could prepare? Um, actually, not really. We we mm-hmm. had been planning a move back to New York because his office had closed in Miami. Mm-hmm. So, the, so our house was being packed up for that. Um, but none of us really wanted to go back to New York much. And, um, my husband had been applying, uh, had been applying for a transfer. It's his same company. Um, and so they, that just came through right as we were packing up the house for New York. Um, mm-hmm. so we had a month in New York to sort of cool our heels and, um, you know, prepare the kids and prepare our, our visas and all our papers. And then, um, and then we were off. And how how did what was the transition like? I mean, when when that happens, I'm always curious. Is there a support group once you get there from the office and maybe from other expats to help you find somewhere to live, take you around, get you acclimatized? Well, in my experience, um, when my family moved around when I was young, um, it was often the schools that, su- that provided that support. Okay. So, so what I did when we moved here is to seek out the homeschool group right away. Okay. And, and I went, I think the day after we got off the plane, I went to uh, a parents meeting that was being held for the, for the homeschool group to just mm-hmm. start making connections. And they were actually the biggest support for us. Um, right. the, the company helps a lot with, with uh, logistics, with finding a house and uh, mm-hmm. getting visas taken care of and all that sort of thing. But, but, but the, the emotional side of it and the, you know, finding your way was really the homeschool group. Right. So that makes sense, really, because you're you're doing the same things. Your your you know um, your focus is the same um, with your children. If you're mixing with like you know other people who are also homeschooling, so is is it very big there in Abu Dhabi? Um, we have. I think 35 families that are associated with the homeschool group, um, about 20 of them are, are members of the group, you know, paying members of the group. Um, and we meet every Monday for park day and, and it's, yes, a fairly big group. Mm-hmm. T- people tend okay. to homeschool here for many reasons. Some of them right. want to just keep up the same curriculum that their kids were doing in their home countries. Other people mm-hmm. want, uh, couldn't get their kids into school in time because they moved in the middle of the year or something. And so have to homeschool, um, until they can put their kids in school. Um, mm-hmm. so there are all sorts of reasons. And so, yes, the group tends to be bigger, I think, even than the groups we had in America. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot of Americans in your group or other foreigners? 
Not not as many as you think. There there are, there are actually seem to be more Americans this year. But we had we have quite a few Canadians, some Australians, um, um, and then people from from all over this region as well. Mm-hmm. All over this region, meaning. The, um, the 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 Middle East. We have um, some yeah, Lebanese okay. family. We have some oh, okay. uh, Pakistani families. Mm-hmm. All right. And in general, um, for you, do you use a curriculum? How how has your method of homeschooling changed over the years that you've been doing it? We've gone from. I started out with the well-trained mind and was very classical in my approach. Um, I, I think Max, Max is my eldest, needed that when we first pulled him out of school. He, he, he actually made a comment one time to his father that I wasn't teaching him anything. Um, so, so he, he needed to have school time every day. And so we did that at first. And that sort of started to, as he had more different interests, um, we started to work with those and, and get away from such a strict, curriculum um mm-hmm. and now we're and we've we've gone the whole gamut all the way to unschooling but now we've sort of um backtracked a little bit and i'm i'm more i would consider myself more of an eclectic homeschooler um i don't mm-hmm. follow a particular curriculum but i do have a math curriculum and a language arts curriculum available that we draw from sometimes Mm-hmm. Uh, I started, well, I didn't start with the well-trained mind. I started with Calvert because I was just so worried about finding my own stuff. And Calvert just sends it all to you in a box for the whole year, right. everything you could possibly need. And after a year, I thought, oh, I could do this. You know, I can find my own materials because I liked some of it and I didn't like some of it. And I wanted to like all of it, you know. And um, I loved the well-trained mind, but then I'm a reader see and i just loved all of those books but my children weren't as enthusiastic as i was so, <laughs> so i mean it was just am i homeschooling me or am i homeschooling my children so i just allowed them to make some choices and that is a balance you have to find because i'm yes. definitely i loved school and i was a very good student and so i'm very um in my mind i'm very much of a school type person but my kids mm-hmm don't take to that as well and so but we do we do a lot of reading most of what we learn is through reading and through just Mm -hmm. life um Mm -hmm. so i wonder do you think do you think because we were at school for so long you know 12 years i mean a large (laughs) chunk of our young lives that and and we liked to read and write i mean i I was really and obviously with your jobs that um you had you 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 like the same things um do you think that was why we feel that we love that structure and really have to have, um, you know, sort of stuff all laid out and do so much and get so much completed and take exams and write essays. Whereas our children may be exactly the same, only they're not exposed to those 12 years of regimen. And so they, 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 they're able to express it in a different way. They are. And I think so much learning happens really by accident, by discovery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, um, and I think that our, ch- at least my children seem to be much more open to that. Whereas I'm, I'm more of a person who wants to follow the rules and we can't, mm-hmm. we can't veer too much off this way because then we won't follow the schedule. Um, mm-hmm. um and they and have no idea what you mean. <laughs> right. 
Right. I mean, they probably don't even, they're going, what, what? And, this is and interesting. Going, oh, Let's go with it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Exactly. Absolutely. And that's um, one of my, even with writing, because, because, because writing for newspapers is so structured. Mm-hmm. Um, and it follows such strict rules that, that for my children, I, I've had to learn to let go and let them find their own way with their writing and not try to enforce rules on them right, right mm-hmm. away. And, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and do you think creative. even though there, even though there are those rigid guidelines in journalism, that if they haven't necessarily done that, by the time they go to university and, um, learn how to write for, print media or even online now, it's not going to be too difficult for them to adjust. No, not at all. Not at all. Yeah. Those, those rules are, are fairly easy to learn. And if you're motivated to learn them, they're not, uh, it's not rocket science. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. As long as you like the words, like oh, words, right. words. I'm a word monger. I was saying that to my husband. I, we're getting our Christmas letter together, and I've written it, and he's saying, "Oh, that's perfect." And I said, "No, I have to go back through and pull out all of the verbs, and if I've repeated any, because of just the, the certain form that I've taken on, on writing this, if I've repeated any, I need to change, and then I need to make them more interesting." And he's saying, "But it looks fine to me." And I said, "No, I'm a word monger. <laughs> I have to do this." This is what I enjoy doing. So that's, that's no, me too. Nobody, yeah, nobody will notice except for me. And, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I'm the most, you know, anyway. All right, so um, you're homeschooling there in Abu Dhabi, but I'm sure there's plenty of opportunity for you to get out and explore. I bet there are lots of historical sites and geographic wonders. So tell us a little bit about um, some of the homeschooling experiences you do apart from in a book. There are, for one thing, the, this country is very focused on culture and heritage, and um, so there are always there are always um, field trips that we can take with the homeschool group as a whole um, for cultural experiences and that sort of thing. Um, at the same time, they're doing a lot of work in the field of archaeology um, in a in an area called Alain. Um, so that so that's very exciting for for the kids to to go and discover um you know what's being dug up um mm-hmm. in the in the sand and mm-hmm. um um and then all the all the cultures of people who live here also come to bear and we get to go to orchestras and ballets and um um operas so the kids um, and, and all of this we are considered a, a school group and so we're given the same um you know, free or very inexpensive uh, entry fees uh, that schools are given, and um, so so it's really a very exciting city to 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 homeschool in. We have lots and lots of opportunities. There was just a huge science expo, um, and it was all set up for kids. Actually, it's uh, a company that I think does this in Edinburgh, a- 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 somewhere, <laughs> somewhere in England. Okay, yeah, I don't know if I mispronounced it. Yeah, Edinburgh Festival probably. That's it. That's it. A science festival. And so they came and and put it on here and, um, it was just fantastic. It's just really well done for the Mm -hmm. kids. And, uh, and and so we were able to go to that and, and really participate in everything. So, Um, so that was exciting. A lot of countryside. What, what is, what, what's the country? Because you see the, the, um, skyline is just breathtaking. You know, the, those, the modern buildings and um, uh, there must be countryside mountains, are there? 
Not much here. We're mostly desert. Um, but if you go into the other emirates, uh, especially as you move closer to Oman, um, there are there are more mountains. Uh, there's more mountain ranges. But uh, but this way, Abu Dhabi and and into what they call the empty quarter is basically just desert. Uh, mm-hmm. There are all sorts of villages in, within the desert that you can go and visit, mm-hmm. but but it's mm-hmm. flat. Mm-hmm. All right, Laura. Well, we're going on another break, and um, I'm talking to Laura Noahed in Abu Dhabi, and we've been talking about homeschooling and and the excitement that it offers. We'll be back in a moment. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Get ready for Officer Radio every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern only on Officer.com. It's powered by the worldwide resources of Officer.com and hosted by Editor-in-Chief of Officer.com and 30-year law enforcement veteran Frank Borelli. Officer.com is your source for the latest news, trends, and issues facing the law enforcement community, which change almost daily. New regulations, new things to know about that affect all in law enforcement. Join us each week as Officer Borelli and his guests examine, dissect, and discuss the issues facing our industry. Call in live and join the conversation to get your voice heard. For more law enforcement news and more about the show, go to Officer.com. You can even find us on Facebook and Twitter. Then join us live every Thursday afternoon at 2 p.m. Eastern, only on Officer.com. Renowned and gifted psychic medium, Sylvia Rossi, explores the mysteries of this life, the afterlife, and the unseen world that surrounds us all. In the show called Make Contact with Sylvia Rossi, Wednesdays at 2, 1 p.m. Central here on Toginet. Sylvia Rossi with her special guests and other fellow psychics invite you to call in and make contact with the world beyond and get answers to your questions. Psychic medium Sylvia Rossi has been sharing her gift professionally for the last 17 years. Sylvia has made it her mission to help individuals and families understand their eternal connection to loved ones that have passed on, bringing relief and comfort to countless souls who have been touched by her gift. She's had the privilege of meeting and working with many psychologists who continue to recommend their clients to her when conventional methods have failed. Now it's your turn to make contact with host and psychic medium Sylvia Rossi. Wednesdays at 2, 1 p.m. Central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Well, Laura, does your husband still have family in the Lebanon? Uh, most of his uh, his parents and his brothers live in uh, in Miami, okay. but we do meet up with them in the summers uh, in Lebanon. Oh, you do. So, so you still. All oh, right. So you've been there. Yes. Yes, we have. <laughs> yes, it's where I I spent my teenage years there. So it was very formative for me, and I just loved it. I I just had oh. this, you know, I just 
you, you talked about the Corniche, and I thought, that's what we used to call our run along the sea, the Corniche. And everybody looks at me and says, oh, you mean the promenade, I suppose, is what they call it in America. <laughs> I don't know what they call it. but That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so you said that um, in your family there were cultural, you know, you blended um, two cultures uh, when you were growing up, and so obviously you're doing the same thing in in your family. What are a couple of cultural traditions that um, you have blended? For example, um, maybe holidays. You mentioned that your weekend was Friday, Saturday. I know that's that's mainly probably because of Abu Dhabi, but it might be your family weekend too. Um, so, so tell us a, a couple of the ways that your culture has been blended. I, I, I'll tell you that I think the main way that we've blended the cultures is in the food that we eat and prepare. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, um, that's exploring the ways that, that different cultures prepare food traditionally has been one of my biggest hobbies. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I've learned a lot about, uh, Lebanese cuisine from my mother-in-law. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so it's one of the ways, and, and then we do call all the dishes by their Arabic names. Um, okay. so it's the little bit of Arabic that my kids do get, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, and then, but beyond that, also just having, we have a lot of friends from all the different cultures and the children do hear us speaking in Arabic and, uh, speaking in Spanish and, um, um, seeing the different ways that, that, uh, celebrations are held and that sort mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I think they have uh, quite a bit of exposure to, especially to the Lebanese side, but also to the Mexican side through my parents. Mm-hmm. And, Americans um, and how they view family and aging, you know, elderly people versus more the more Middle Eastern um, cultures are very different. Um, do you find that? Although you've got the Mexicans, so I think Mexicans probably are more respectful and more family oriented maybe than a lot of Americans are. They are, and actually, I think that that's that sort of thing is one is one thing that drew my husband and me together. Um, mm-hmm. We actually have very similar views on family and aging and taking care of the elderly and taking care of each other. Um, mm-hmm. You know, siblings that are going through hard times um, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but absolutely, family is something that is always uh, always welcome and always uh, around. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the reasons that I got into homeschooling. I had a, I had a friend who was a homeschooler and she said to me, you know, your children think that you're the best thing since sliced bread. And I looked at her and I thought, Oh, I'd never really thought that. Cause I, I always thought of myself as so much older, obviously than my children, that they would want to be with children their age rather than want to be with me. But she showed me and, you know, have since realized that she was right, that our children do thoroughly enjoy our company it's the culture or the society that tells us that you know, children are going to be bored if they're just sitting around at home during those long summer holidays. You have to get them into camp. You have to get them into extracurricular activities. You have to get them doing extra studying so they can get into better colleges. If you just have them at home, they're going to, one, drive you mad, and two, be bored out of their minds. That's the one thing I've never understood is, is how parents can be driven mad by their children. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but we do. We spend so much time together, and the summers are all about visiting family and being with family um, who may or may not be available the rest of the year uh, or easy to easy to get to. Um, mm-hmm. And um, and the children love it. They love. They just love being with their grandparents, being with their with their cousins. Um, 
And I, um, I think and maybe maybe parents just aren't don't they think that their children have to be constantly organized and on the go and otherwise they're just going to I don't know. They they feel as though they're going to fail as a parent if they don't do that. But I found that homeschooling parents realize that, you know, there's there's just as much value in sitting under a tree doing nothing and thinking. And I don't think our children are given that time to do that when Absolutely. they're at, at school. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it sounds as though your children are going to be able to do that um, with you too. So you know we need to get that message out there that our kids think we're great and they really do just want to be with us they really do they really do (laughs) yeah yeah and and their families and whatever so um you've got this wonderful connection with other countries because there are also a lot of americans that have never left america and you know children that are able to do that are so fortunate they are. And I, I tell you, what, some of the people that I've most loved to meet here are people who have left the United States and come here for the, for the sole reason that they wanted their children to be exposed to, to something different, to a different yeah. country, to different yeah. ideas. Yeah. Um, and I think those children, those children in particular are very fortunate. Mm-hmm. So um, are there a lot of job opportunities? Are there a lot of Western companies there in Abu Dhabi? A lot of Western companies, yes, yeah. um, and and not a lot of local people. Uh, the the actual Emirati right. population is very small. So um, yeah. I think I think I read somewhere that it's something like ninety percent expat. The population of Abu Dhabi. Really? So yes, yes. So um, so almost every job is uh, is staffed by, except for government jobs. But otherwise, almost every job is staffed by by expats. So was there much of a cultural shock when you moved? Not as much as we had expected. Um, just because it's such a, such a large expat community mm-hmm. um, and so many things are, are done the same way. And then the few things that I think um, cause culture shock to others were, were totally expected by us just from our experiences in Lebanon and in Mexico. Um, mm-hmm. Things like, you know, bureaucracies not running as smoothly as one would wish and mm-hmm that sort of thing um we were we came fully expecting things to be that way and we've been pleasantly surprised it hasn't been as bad as we thought Mm. and um your decision to homeschool have you ever thought oh i'm doing the wrong thing um you know i wonder if this is really going to work your children are still young you know looking at them when they get to be older teenagers and into high school and wondering will i ever get them into university I have never, ever regretted homeschooling. I, I just think it's exactly the right thing for us. I do worry sometimes about, our, you know, am I teaching them the right things and will they be prepared? But it's more, it's more about that. About, and and those, that's something you can easily fix. If you feel that there's some kind of a hole in your children's education, you can fill it quite easily. Um, Yes. So that, but that's yeah. only that's only my been my worry um, throughout. I've never ever thought that I should put my children back in school for any reason. Well, and there are so many things to learn these days that even at traditional schools, um, they may not be getting everything that they need. Well, and they won't sure. definitely won't be learning everything because I can remember saying something to my mother. Here they teach. They go way back to you know pre-Roman times to one century, and 
my mother said they're going to have to cut out cut out some of that history because they just cannot get it all done up to modern time i'm thinking you know so you just do the same as homeschool you just pick and choose which, which areas do you want to to learn about and if they go out into the world and say gosh i really need to you know hone up on my second world war skills so that i can do whatever they can do that <laughs> They That's absolutely a, can. And, yeah. and, and I consider that to be my main job is to teach my children to learn. Yes, To that's teach right. them how to find out anything that they feel they might need to know about. Yeah, yeah. So, Laura, do you work? Are you still able to continue with your job? I don't anymore. Uh, when I was in Miami, I had a part-time telecommuting job um, that mm-hmm. I did from home. Um, but, but since we've moved here, I, I, haven't, I haven't worked. And do you I, miss it? Do you miss not working? Um, not here. Not no. Not at all. Not at all. I I feel like I had a very good career. It was um, I, I I did everything that I wanted to do, and then when I was ready to to dedicate myself to my children, I was able to just do that with no regrets. Um, mm-hmm. I don't at all wish that I was still working. I'm glad that I have all this time with them and that uh, living in a different country, it takes a lot of energy to to just get things done and, and, and learn about the culture you're in and learn about uh, what you're just everything around you. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm glad that I have that time to dedicate to, to my children and to doing these learning these things together. Um, and do you have a resource? I mean, you say you have a homeschool group there, a support group, um, which is wonderful. And I'm, I'm glad that, <laughs> that, uh, it's, it's fruitful for you. Um, but tell us a, a resource for homeschooling that you use. Well, and I'll tell you, I've used it a lot less since I've been here. I think this was more when I was starting out, but, um, mm-hmm. I, I, a lot of different forums online around certain curriculums. There's a well-trained mind forum that I frequented, uh, in the past. And then mothering.com, which is a, a magazine about, about mothering, um, has extensive forums and they have a whole area about homeschooling. So that's an excellent resource too. Um, just for, for getting support and for ideas and, um, and lots and lots and lots of links to, to mm-hmm. anything that you need. Mm-hmm. Um, those yeah, are the so, main, yeah. Yeah. I've got that, uh, mothering.com you called it. Is that right? Yes. 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 All right. Um, well, Laura, we've come to the end of our time. I've had a really wonderful time talking to you, and I actually need to email you a little about the mutual friend that we have who introduced me to you. So, um, okay. I'm, yes. I'm, I'm very um, happy about that. And um, I hope you had an enjoyable time um, this evening. It's almost. I what? did. It just flew by. I can't believe I it's going to end already. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, I just want to ask one more thing. Um, you swim. Sure. Do you swim in the in the Gulf? You say you like to scuba dive and do that. Have you been able to do that? I haven't had. Well, I've, we've gone snorkeling with the kids. I haven't had yeah. a chance to dive, but my son's about to turn ten, which is the youngest age for for scuba diving certification, and right. that's what he wants for his birthday. So, mm-hmm. uh, so we're going to get him certified, and I'll have to be recertified, and then we can do more of that scuba diving. Well, wonderful. Well, I've been talking with Laura Nuaihead. Um, she's in Abu Dhabi and she homeschools her three children with her husband. We talked about living abroad, the advantages of homeschooling, family life, and how giving up a career at, or at least putting it on hold can reap rewards of, of a very different kind. Laura, thank you so much for joining me today. I thoroughly enjoyed our time together. Thank you, Vivian. So did I. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. 
Bye. Thank you very much. Bye bye. <laughs> bye. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Get ready for the Not-So-Soccer Mom Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central, on Toginat with Jill Hickey. You name it, from politics to pop culture to Jill's search for the perfect bronzer and chicken salad. The Not-So-Soccer Mom will weigh in on it all. The sentence, I have no opinion about that, is one that Jill has never uttered. In the early 90s, Jill finally decided to put her thoughts, opinions, mom advice, love of pop culture, hummus, and Starbucks, working out, cosmetic shopping, and politics into an actual website and thus NotSoSoccerMom.com was born. Shortly after her fourth child, a boy, Jerome, now she's really got tons of topics to share with you. This is Laugh Out Loud Funny, and we're not kidding. What's a loud Nebraska girl who lived in Little Rock for many years and now is up in the Northeast doing, chronicling her opinions on everything? The wheels aren't off yet, but it's close. It's the Not-So-Soccer Bomb with Jill Hickey, Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central, on toginet.com. The Mary Beth Wells Hour is a talk radio show where we reach out, reach deep, and talk about topics of substance. We'll cover points of interest, such as World War II and the Holocaust, the Vietnam War, the planets and the oceans, skydiving, rock climbing, and much, much more. Join me every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time as we delve into and discuss fascinating subjects. It's a program to pique your interest for sure. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. Well, the big news this week in London was the national strike on Wednesday. More than two million public sector workers went on strike to protest the cuts the government's making to their pensions. It was the biggest strike in 30 years and was staged by teachers, nurses and border guards. The plan was to stop Britain in her tracks with long delays forecast at all the major airports, limited staff at hospitals and doctors' offices, offices and thousands of school closures. Knowing who's part of the public sector now isn't as clear as it used to be. A lot of the rail and public transport systems have become privatised. So my blue-eyed cowboy and I decided not to use the trains that day and chance a trip to the local town a short bus ride away instead – or we could always walk there if the buses weren't running. However, our trusty bus route was not interrupted, but I did notice that the streets were teeming with children who'd 
got a day off school in the middle of the week. My brother, who works for the public sector, said he wasn't striking. There was plenty of warning, and I don't know how effective the action was since plans were easily changed or modified. At church, it was the Feast of St. Andrew, remember, we prayed for everyone affected, and our attention was brought to the fact that this kind of action was only possible because God had created each one of us differently. We prayed that the people involved, both citizens and government leaders, would further use their uniqueness to settle the dispute with respect and tolerance for both sides of the argument without resorting to verbal or physical violence. I think that was successful. I remember strikes in the 60s and 70s at my school. Well, my school didn't actually strike. The nuns weren't allowed to, unless you can call the closing of the kitchen at weekends a form of striking. We had to eat cold food on Saturdays and Sundays while the kitchen staff had a break. Not pleasant in the bleak midwinter. The coal miners were always on strikes, so it seemed. As a child, I couldn't understand how a few miners up north refusing to work until they got higher wages could affect me in southern England, but they did. The strikes went on for weeks, and when I was older and reading newspapers, I read about the strikers' families and the hardships they were undergoing. In my unemployed, childish ignorance, I couldn't work out why having some money wasn't better than having no money at all, which is what it amounted to during the strikes. But I wasn't politically minded yet. Sometimes the miners were successful, sometimes not, and the poverty was rife in small Welsh mining villages. When several weeks had passed, we began to feel the cuts and have to go without electricity and gas. This is how we were eventually affected. It was always in the winter months, too. In the summer, we'd hardly notice no electricity because of the long hours of summer brightness, and we wouldn't have to use our central heating. But in the winter, with only a few hours of daylight and freezing weather, our attention was captured even in in the southern reaches of the land. No coal, no fuel. No fuel, no way to stoke the furnaces of the power stations, hence a severe rationing of energy. And of course, we weren't entrusted not to use so much electricity ourselves. We had the power shut off for several hours a day from its source. On one side of the street, if you lived in a town, there was no power for the first hours of the morning. Then on the other side, there was no power for the afternoon. Neighbours became friendlier during this time, using each other's electricity when meals were needed to be set on the table for their hungry families. The postman also went on strike, I remember, and really made a dent in the letters we received at school. But as with all things, the upper hand found ways around the striking miners and postmen. This is where the four-day week came in, after the forced closures of companies for an extra day a week to conserve energy, and private delivery services. Instead of the Royal Royal Mail began to blossom. Pensions are a sore point both here and in America, and I don't blame the public sector for going on strike, but it was more of a statement rather than a crippling exercise. Can you imagine schools and hospitals closed for weeks at a time? I think the government's attention would be caught then, don't you? But here there are grave accusations of misappropriating the hard-saved money of teachers, health workers and border control officers. And I think the grievances are founded in truth. A friend of my brother's who's a teacher told him her pension was going to drop by 60% and she's being forced to continue working for another five years. That's a large chunk of a nest egg, isn't it? As I said, we're hardly into December. The second week of Advent is the day after tomorrow. But I have to admit that I've been doing some forward Christmas planning. My main reasoning behind this is, as we all know, unwelcome surprises at this time of year are just that 
unwelcome. With the added distress of only having one member of our immediate family with us, I'm eager to avoid a meltdown of emotions or allow doom and gloom a foothold, be it ever so lightly, in our flat in sunny... Beckenham will it be sometimes. My brother brought his boys to our Advent carol service last week, which was very well attended. They must have heard I was reading. And at the back of the church was a table for refreshments afterwards, and there were half a dozen cozied teapots on it and plates of biscuits. The boys eyed it longingly, but we ran on because I had dinner cooking at home. Around the meal table, the subject of Christmas came up. My brother doesn't get the boys until the evening. Divided families have a tough time of it over the holidays. The boys will have already eaten, so my brother requested an Abendbrot, which is what we used to have in Germany, literally an evening bread. It's a smorgasbord of assorted finger foods, a particular favourite of mine since childhood. I'm happy to comply, but know that we won't be ready for anything to eat in the evening if we have our large lunch of turkey and all the fixings in the middle of the afternoon. So my brother brain started ticking and for all of you who are rigid meal timers let me let you into a secret it is possible to eat any meal at just about any time of the day how many of you have breakfast for dinner yeah you see since our arrival in england with first all its additional daylight and now all its additional non-daylight my blue-eyed cowboy and i have happily fallen out of a routine as far as eating goes when we get up in the morning we decide what it is we have our eyes and tummies set on for that day then we gear the rest of our consumption around it for example we have cranberry crunch in the fridge best eaten hot with a good meal to set it off to its best advantage so today we'll eat our main meal tonight with food that will do the crumble justice a shrimp remoulade perhaps another morning we could be craving the scones and clotted cream that are sitting in the fridge so we'll center our meal around tea time knowing that at 5 p.m a strong cup of coffee will stymie all hunger until the following morning sometimes breakfast is our main meal other times tea and occasionally dinner for christmas because i have agreed on arbenbrot the evening supper table with my brothers and nephews i've suggested to the two members of the family who will be living with me that we have our main meal on christmas eve evening allegedly cook up during the day followed by the meal and then midnight mass and home for bed Malia loved the idea. Well, any excuse to eat at any time is fine with her. And my Texan is flexible as long as he can cook. This will naturally mean that in the morning we'll rise late, exchange a few gifts and have brunch, eggs benedict or breakfast burritos with black velvet. Then the afternoon's left free for digestion, walking and napping before the boys arrive. And I'm sure we'll all be hungry again by then. Problem solved and enough about food. There are push chairs here. You call them strollers. And they have been made into little exercise trikes for toddlers. I kid you not. I see parents pushing their safely strapped in toddler around and the toddlers leaning forward, hands on the handlebars, pedaling furiously to propel the vehicle forward at a breakneck pace. I have no idea whether the pedaling and the pushing are related. I think not for safety reasons, but I've not had the opportunity to examine the contraption more than with a sideways glance as I walk past. I can just see mother stopped at the traffic light to wait across the road with beloved and energetic toddler carrying on regardless, pedaling into the intersection, taking her by surprise and with him headlong into the path of oncoming traffic. No, I'm sure they're not connected. However, the children I've seen are oblivious to this fact and their faces are lit up with such satisfaction at how grown up they feel that I don't think I want to be the one to break the news to them. They'll find out soon enough and by then they'll be hurtling around in their own scooters or tricycles. And up at the theatre, I've been talking 
to a father of young children during rehearsal. Well, the whole group have young children, as a matter of fact, being about half a generation removed from us. And we were talking about bedtime routines, baths, reading stories, milk and biscuits. My ears pricked up at the latter as it brought back a memory I thought I'd lost somewhere in the deep and unknown vestiges of my mind. My parents never gave us anything to drink or eat just before we went to bed, probably because our bedtimes were pretty close to tea time, making it redundant. My grandmother used to, though, because we were on holiday and could stay up later. Well, thinking about it, we were usually on holiday with my parents, too. I think my mother probably closed the kitchen after dinner, rather like the nuns at school. Anyway, at 10 o'clock, my grandmother would bring us in a cup of coffee or cocoa or Ovaltine or tea, if we preferred, with a small plate of digestive biscuits and cheese. Absolute bliss, this little meal called supper. Like breakfast, it was one of my favourites of the day, even though it was really only a snack. I'd completely forgotten about it, but obviously no one else in England has. The ritual's still alive and well after 30 years or more. It hasn't made me want to plunge straight in and rekindle the tradition. It's just nice to know that the little ritual's alive and kicking, and just in case, I have a packet of digestives and some Ovaltine in the cupboard. I introduced my two young nephews to the bastion of English meals, beef stew. I tried to cook something that can be popped in the oven and forgotten for an hour or two when they're coming over, and I'd run out of ideas, so I made a stew. I didn't pop it in the oven, though, because the stovetop is pretty darn fast. I was trepidatious as to how they'd welcome this nourishing pot. I took a quick inventory. There was nothing in it not to like. Both the boys love potatoes, carrots, tomatoes, and beef. But I've discovered for some reason, when certain foods are all cooked together, youngsters lose all sense of preference. I decided to make a really yummy loaf of bread, just in case the meal was a disaster with certain members of the family. I also planned to load it on top of rice and remembered not to add dumplings which are a personal favorite of mine but not of my brothers um the boys were nervous when they arrived and so was i for some reason the youngest was determined from the get-go that he wasn't going to like it when i set his place before him he looked dolefully down at it and picked at the rice ate the bread and moved the rest around his plate the older boy ate two bowls full saying it was delicious which i which it was And I told the story of how Paris hated stew and we'd have it once a week during the winter and she'd eat the homemade bread and appear to eat her meal. And one day I was cleaning the kitchen and found dried veggies underneath her chair cushion. The fact that I'm telling this story today proves that she's never lived the discovery down. She says that Watson, the family dog, and staunch ally at mealtimes was supposed to have found it and eaten it up. And I have managed to fill yet another hour with homeschool tips from my guests and news from a small island. And I have to leave you for the week. We have rehearsal tonight. We're getting close to tech week. And Christmas cards are being put together and posted this weekend. And I'll probably start sorting through this year's photos. So I'll say thanks to my handsome husband who believes in love at first sight. Our four children who are a result of that belief. I miss you three in Texas. The hardworking staff at Toginet Radio. My guest Laura Nuihead and you, my faithful listeners, especially Anne in Lindale, Hannah, Tina, Rosemary, Sarah, and many others who are a part of my growing audience. Don't forget to listen to Sandy Fowler of Heartfield Holidays on Monday at 1, and stay tuned for Ali later on today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord show you his kindness and have mercy on you. May the Lord watch over you and give you peace.
Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney on Togi.